Welcome to the Perp Web Podcast, hosted by Joe Bosch. And good morning, everyone, and welcome to PerfWeb 83, day two. I am your host, Joe Basha. Uh, before we introduce our uh, special guest, Matt Woohooer, today uh, with the uh, Vanderbilt University Faculty Forum, I'd like to go through our housekeeping notes, which we do each show. The To contact us, you can reach us. You see it right there at the bottom of the screen. Contact at perfusioneducation.com. You want to send us an email or uh, reach out to us for some reason. We have our call-in number, uh, which is for those who are listening and uh, perhaps are driving. Uh, I'll just say it twice, 832-239-5358. That's 832 832- 239-5358, and those phone lines are open. Uh, you'll see along the bottom of the screen throughout the program our scroll bar for all of our social media information, Facebook, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, um, and uh, whatever else is on there. Please make sure to share, follow, subscribe, click the notification, all notifications, uh, bell icon and YouTube. That's very important to us, getting that YouTube subscribership to continue to grow. Uh, we're getting there slowly but surely, and we are definitely dominating the perfusion market in that aspect, which I'm very proud of. Um, check out our MediWeb app. Uh, we have a critical care application for perfusionists. It's got a perfusion section. It has a, an ECMO section, hemodynamics, clinical calculator. It's got a uh, conversion section and an IV rate and dose calculator, which is also a standalone app that you can get, but it's incorporated in the big app. This big app is $2.99 with continuous updates. We've updated it twice. I think we're going, we have another update that is going to be uh, being released very shortly, continuing to grow that as a platform. You can get it at the Apple or uh, Apple Store or the uh, Google Play Store. Uh, so a great app. You can get yourself the critical care app. You can get your uh, spouse if they're a uh, nurse, uh, the uh, uh, IV rate and dose calculator app, and it's uh, fantastic. Uh, we also have podcasts. You can find us on your favorite streaming platform and just look up PerfWeb, and all of our programs are uh, put onto podcast uh, pretty much as soon as they're completed and enduring, actually, while the program is going on. Is that correct? It goes on during while the program is going, or it goes on... So it's actually live streaming the podcast and then it stays up in the podcast library. So you can listen to our programs, uh, look for our new program, our new programs, which are going to be scheduled uh, for September, October, November and December. So if you've been waiting for that schedule to come out, it should be out within the next few days to week. Uh, and with that said, I'd like to move forward with our introduction of our special guest, Matt Warhoover. There he is coming to us from Nashville, Tennessee in his home office. And your, uh, to our topic today is going to be the future of organ procurement. So Matt, welcome very much to the show. It's great to see you. I'm in your parking lot, by the way, I don't know if you noticed or not. Uh, but uh, I thought that. I'd come over to the hospital and just hang out in your parking lot. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, it, I, I'd, have been at, I'd have been at uh, the hospital had I known you were there. 
Say, uh, say that again. I didn't quite hear that. Can you say that again, Matt? I, I, they had the volume I, I a little low for I, me. I'd have showed up to the hospital this morning if I known you were going to uh, be, you know, televising for the parking lot. Well, when we finish, we can go have ourselves some uh, some lunch. That'll be a great idea. So, uh, how's life treating you over there? Good. We're busy. It's good to be busy. Good. 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 Yes, I understand that. In fact, I've got. Uh, I, I I looked up some information on. Uh, organ organ procurement and transplants, uh, and I'd like to uh, get this started if I could with a couple of slides that I have. There's just three slides, just to look over a couple of things and maybe stimulate this conversation. But uh, so before I get the uh, first slide up, um, it looks like from my best data that there's been about 3,800 heart transplants done. Uh, and I'm not sure if that's just in the United States or worldwide. I think maybe I could ask you to perhaps give me some, uh, uh, some insight as to the total number of heart transplants that are being done. In addition to that, my understanding that there's about uh, 2,000 people on any given day on the heart transplant waiting list, and that about 20% of those patients will die prior to them getting a heart transplant. So be before I go on to those slides that I was gonna talk about, can you, can you tell us if that's about right? Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It's a little more than 2,000 people are on the list. Um, and, and to your point, 20% uh, of those people will not uh, make it to get the transplant that they uh, are, are so, you know, in, in search of, mainly because they either, uh, you know, they'll have an infection or they'll uh, get a different organ system that'll go down and they're not eligible for, you know, a, a, a double organ transplant for whatever reason that is, or, or they, you know, they just, uh, you know, succumb to heart failure. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really interesting. Um, you know, before we, if you don't mind, I'm, I'm sort of going to just weave my way through this uh, in sort of a freestyle way. Um, when you talked about double organ transplant, um, I, I know that there's, I think the record, if I remember right, is it a three organ transplant or has there been more than a triple organ transplant done on any one patient? Um, I don't think, I'm not sure. We, we do quite often, we do heart livers and heart kidneys. Um, we do about one um, heart lung a year, but I, I do know of patients that have received three organs, just not at the same time. Okay, yeah, there's, I think there was a case that was done at Methodist. I think it was Dr. Dietrich was involved with it years ago here in Houston. And we're talking many years ago. And it had to do with the transfer of a patient to uh, Houston Methodist. And they did a, uh, a triple organ transplant on that patient. I'm not exactly sure how that patient turned out. I don't remember. Uh, I, I need to look that up and find out. But as far as if you're on the heart transplant list, can you maybe discuss a little bit about why you would not do the the kidney as well? Is it a a a, a 
Is it an organ availability issue? Is it you just don't think that they would be able to tolerate both organs being transplanted simultaneously? What makes a person eligible for double organ transplant or ineligible for double organ transplant? I don't think we really know. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't sit on the committee, um, uh, but there is a, a an, an organ um, transplant committee at Vanderbilt that, that happens once a week, and they add people and discuss the people that are still awaiting the list. And um, realistically, you know, they, they work up um, people based on what their eligibility is and, and where they're at in, in the queue. Um, what I understand it to be is if, if there's an if there's an organ failure and you get listed for let's say a heart and then you go into some sort of renal failure it's a whole nother process to actually go back and relist for kidneys while you're on the, the the organ the heart list and and if you're that sick to where you're, you're having another organ go down while you're on the list more than likely you become part of that 20 percent if you look up the UNOS data on a day-to-day -day basis you know, if you look on the, uh, on the there's a, uh, the UNOS website, UNOS.org, if you look at the wait list snapshot daily, um, you know, it ranges anywhere um, between 20% um, to 25%, what they call uh, wait list inactive due to another reason. And then there's a very small percentage, like a, a, a one to 2% that are on the wait list now because of COVID precautions. So, ah. you know, there's a there's a myriad of different uh, reasons why people, um, you know, become inactive on that wait list. But it, it and, and it's funny when it's it's not funny, but it's interesting when you see the 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 graphic on that slide based on when there's, um, you know, a, a ramp up in COVID, especially the last two years, that metric, um, for example, you know, when COVID was pretty prevalent um this last wave in, in early april you know what typically looks like a, a 78 or 80 percent um you know wait list it was down to you know 65 percent on the wait list because there was um you know near nearly um 15 percent of people that were uh, on the wait list off the wait list because of covid precautions wow yeah um and fortunately i mean I don't know, fortunately or unfortunately, I do want to discuss that with you too today, but I think we are seeing a variant of the COVID-19 virus that is much more transmissible, much higher transmissibility rate uh, than the original strain or the uh, Delta Gamma strains. Um, but far less virulent, um, and uh, people are 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 getting over it, uh, you know, much easier. So I'm just assuming it's going to be endemic, and uh, uh, some variant of it will be around forever uh, on a seasonal basis. At least that's my instincts, and that we might see a spike like we saw with influenza and the H1N1 variant uh, at some point in time in the future as it continues to go through the, the various changes it goes through naturally 
from person to person. I, I, let me, excuse me one second and ask David, is it possible to pull up that unos.org website and then be able to show it on the screen at some point in time in the future? When I ask, okay, good. So Matt, uh, Matt, if we could, can you describe, uh, because you know, you guys at Vanderbilt are well known. I think the community understands that you have the most uh, heart and lung transplants done internationally of any place in the, you're number one from what I understand, unless that's changed. And, no, in uh, hearts. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, and that's, a, uh, that's a, a tremendous distinction to have with excellent outcomes, not just number one, but your outcomes are, are a, basically your three-star program in that category, which is remarkable. Can you tell us a little bit about the structure of your program, of, of your, your transplant program? So from... Uh, your patient, pers the patient admission and criteria perspective to the organ procurement pers perspective to the actual transplant and then recovery perspective. Kind of a synopsis of how your system works. Yeah, and like I said, I, I don't sit on the committees as far as the organ, uh, or, you know, the, the the patient selection process, but that that is a, a very, uh, you know, that's a very guarded and, and and very, uh, I I feel I've been I've been in the meetings before, but I don't sit on the you know the committee. Um, it's a very kind of a, a stressful situation because you are literally, um, you know, the committee is literally, um, you know, making a decision whether this person can get this life saving organ or not. And there's a lot of tough decisions that go involved in that. But it, but as far as um, you know how what the group is, you know, I think. Uh, that the, the real success of our program really starts um, as a team approach from, a, you know, the top down um, from our, you know, chief of cardiac surgery, Dr. Shaw, um, to our, some of our leading cardiologists um, and heart failure docs and, and, and really going out and, you know, robustly recruiting um, other, other you know, centers to say that, you know, hey, we, 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 we can take your patient if you know if they're put on a uh, on a wait list or if uh, it's a kind of a, a high risk transplant, we're we're starting to get a lot of transfers regionally, if not nationally, um, to our program, and and so that's kind of a feed forward cycle. The the you know the the tough part about that is is that you're um, assuming higher and higher risk patients. Thankfully, um, you know we we are having a, a really good success. Um, on, on all, most of our transplants uh, a good bit. And um, what I will say about it is that it, I think the, the key parts that people don't really um, can appreciate is our organ you know, procurement um, like coordinators. Um, we've got two and now three, uh, a third person's joined, but they are, they are the, the real nucleus uh, of our program. They are up all, all nights uh, you know, all all day and all night sometimes, looking and, and making phone calls and coordinating where these organs are available at. You know, and and, and trying to place and and match and make sure that you know the, the logistics about going out and getting there, uh, making sure that there's a, a team available for us at the hospital that we're procuring from, and then you know organizing it through a daily, um, you know, really busy 
cardiac surgery program and, and trying to um, you know, make room um, for these um, urgent, and they're not acute, but they're urgent um, cases that for the, the transplants that when we have to bring the organs back and set people up. I mean, it, it, is, a, it is a task and those three people are really um, what I wanna call, they are the hamster in that wheel that generates everything um, from the beginning. So without those three people, um, you know, I think, I think we, we would not be where we are today. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, it, it, I'm somewhat curious and, and, and uh, how, what do you do if you have a patient and there's an organ in Oregon, Oregon or Arizona, whichever the case may be, the heart that you want. And there's a patient at, in Philadelphia that wants that organ as well. What happens in that circumstance? Well, what I, I, I like I said, I'm not, I'm not uh, exactly sure, but what I do know is, is in the instant you're talking about, uh, the flight time can't be more than about two hours and 15 minutes. That's our threshold of cutoff. Um, from leaving Nashville, because that buffers in about 45 minutes of ground time. Um, and then, you know, an hour of, um, you know, first stitch to um, cross clamp off on, on the new aorta uh, with the new heart. So we're mm -hmm. looking right at about four hours is our max uh, time mm -hmm. um, from, from cross clamp to cross clamp. Mm -hmm. So we, if, if we are gonna go further than Durango um, Colorado mm -hmm. West, um, we can go pretty well anywhere North. We can go, um, pretty well almost to Miami. Uh, Miami may be a little far for us. Um, and then the, the Northeast, we can get, um, well into, well into New York city, maybe not much further than that. Um, now but that's... That, that geographic area now is, is that... good that we can, mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Um, uh, we, we can get in that, in that radius. Um, but Arizona, Las Vegas, that's a, that's a stretch for us. We would have to put it on some sort of, um, you know, ex vivo device, whether it be transmedics or, or, or the new, um, you know, it's under trial right now is that ex vivo, um, platform that they do, they pump the lungs with, um, but they've got a, 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 a cardiac, um, disposable that, uh, is being, it's in trial now. It started in November of 2020. I believe it ends in December of 2023. Yeah, very good, because that, that's an excellent segue for us to actually get into the title of this, this session, this, this fireside chat, um, which is organ procurement. So could you go ahead and throw up that first slide that I had um, on the screen? Yeah, right there. So I, I, want, I wanted to show this slide uh, that uh, and these slides come out of CHU and the Journal of uh, Thoracic Disease from 2019. And it sort of shows the various studies that have been done with NMP, which is uh, uh, mechanic, uh, 
mechanical perfusion, normal thermic mechanical perfusion, NMP. And there's so many acronyms associated with all of this. But I saw that it went all the way back to Protect One in the EU uh, that was done from 2006 to 2007. And this has to do with OCS, you know, the transmetics device type. And I'm assuming that's what they were using here. Um, and it goes all the way up to 2018. And then if you could go to the next slide uh, that I had, I have from the same study, they talk about these various different devices that are in uh, some phase of study. The human studies over to the right are the Steen Heart Preservation System and the Life Cradle Heart Perfusion System out of Frisco, Texas. One's out of Sweden, the first one, and then out of Texas. Thanks very much. You can pull us both up. Um, and they're in various different phases. So you were talking about another device. And obviously, if you have the perfect heart in Portland, Oregon, and one of you's in Philly and one of you's in Nashville, that's too far for both of you. So we talked about organ procurement, and that's sort of the theme of this discussion. And I'm curious if you could elucidate or, or, or help educate our audience and me on organ from a cardiac perspective. That's mostly my interest, but of course you could talk about uh, 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 lungs as well. And what type of distance you gain by having a system different than, I guess the acronym for it is CSS, cold static storage, which is generally how we understand heart transplants to d be done. You take a brain dead patient, you open their chest, you clamp the aorta, you go on bypass, you clamp, well, I don't think you would go on bypass. You drain the heart, you clamp the aorta, you give cold cardioplegia, you, you explant the heart, you put it into a uh, bag of ice in an ice chest and you take it. Is that pretty much what you do? Yep, that's exactly right. So then that's only gonna give you two and a half hours of flight time, accounting for 45 minutes of ground time, and maybe 30 minutes of reinsertion time and then uh, eventual aortic cross clamp and reperfusion of that organ. And you have no idea if that organ is going to continue to be viable until you do all of that. There's no way to assess its viability or if it sustained any damage in, uh, in transport or during uh, its cold static storage state. Yeah, and in, in addition, um, other than the visual inspection of the of the valves, you know, at, on the on the explant uh, from the donor, um, and, and just a, a tactile, um, you know, inspection of the coronaries, um, you don't you don't really have an appreciation if there's any coronary artery disease, you know, on 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 these patients, um, you know, coronary artery disease is is mostly genetic. And so a, a lot of times you don't get the, the background and you, you certainly don't um, get the casts on a lot of these patients. Um, and so, you know, it is a little bit of a, of a risk uh, when, you, when you do implant these things. 
Additionally, you know, you have to make sure that everything, you know, went well. You, you got a good preservation, um, you know, flush. Um, and, and, for, and then you always have the, you know, the organ dysfunction, primary graft dysfunction that, you know, you're fighting that, that, uh, that percentage as well. So there is a lot of risk, um, but it's mitigated, um, I, I think, with good systems uh, in place and, and consistent systems. Um, but, but also, I think there is going to be, um, I think there, there's a, I think there's an underappreciation on how these new devices are going to help organ transplants in general um, when, when it comes to matching. Um, and, and matching is just not blood type and HLA typing, but it's also size um, and, and, and um, weight of, of the patient from donor to recipient. Um, on weight and donor to recipient on on actual size of the chest, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, I, and and so I think with these uh, organ procurement um, and I want to call them not procurement but also preservation devices, you actually um, have the opportunity to, like you said, if there is a, a donor in Philly and there's a donor in Nashville for, or, I'm sorry, a recipient don a recipient in national recipient in Philly. Um, for an organ that's uh, in, in Oregon or Washington State, um, you know, we have the ability now to go which patient is really um, most suited for that organ. When it, it, you know, if, if we were on a national level of having all these, devi uh, these devices that you could unlimited uh, or based on what we are now in a four-hour uh, four window, but when you're getting 14, 15 hours availability on these machines, it's really when it comes to the U.S., even if you had to go to Hawaii, it's, it's you know, limitless that you could get from Hawaii to, you know, really the, the, the East Coast, um, you know, in a flight time of, you know, nine or ten hours, and, and you're on the box. So really when it comes to, um, you know, the U.S., um, these, these procurement preservation devices are, you know, they're a game changer for all, for all organ um, mm -hmm. donation and, and, um, procurement. So what, I guess what I'm getting to is, is that you, you're going to get, I think you will eventually get better results just based on placement. You, you don't have to take a, um, what do you want to call a, a slightly mismatched heart? You know, if, if it's a female donor going into a, a male recipient, you know, that, that, that's always causes a little bit of a problem because just the size match jet, uh, genetically is usually a little bit different. Um, with these systems like this and having the availability to get organs and transport organs across the country, um, you can really get, you know, you know, best practice, if you will. Mm. Very, very interesting. You know, I I'm going to be doing a, um, a journal club tomorrow, and it's actually going to be on NRP. You have gotten me very curious about this, and I know you mentioned your director, Dr. Shaw, uh, and it's actually his article, or his, it, it's actually a narrative, more of a commentary on NRP that he recently wrote. And I read it, and it was very, very elegantly written, and there's a lot of very interesting sort of twists and turns and nuances associated with it. For example, he makes a comment in there about NRP and the expansion of 
uh, how it expands organ availability, but then discusses, of course, the process. Uh, but prior to actually discussing the process of NRP, which is really intriguing um, and 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 potentially for some people emotionally disturbing, he makes a comment that the problem with NRP is NRP. And then he goes on sort of to describe the whole process, uh, which again, I found, I've, I've gained an interest in this in my our conversations with you. I find it very fascinating. Um, but those are two different things, right? Your, your, your OCS technology is for being able to animate a heart and keep it perfused and functional for a much longer transport time, explanted time or ex vivo living state, so to speak, to get it to someplace else for reinsertion for transplant. Whereas your NRP is really more designed to, at least this is my understanding, to re to expand essentially a very limited donor pool. Do I have it right or am I, is there some other aspect to this that I'm not quite seeing? No, that's exactly right. NRP is is designed really to just expand the donor pool. Um, you know, we, there are literally hundreds of organs um, that that you know are are lost weekly that are very viable organs um, that because um, the the potential donors are are not brain dead donors. Uh, they're not brain. They're not brain dead. They haven't been uh, determined brain dead. They actually pass naturally, um, and, and without having the you know a system in place to recover those organs like NRP, um, you know the the hearts always uh, are never utilized. And you know, and NRP, for those and for those people watching NRP, because again, there's so many acronyms, so many letters. Nor is NRP is normal thermic regional perfusion. You take that's a patient. Correct. You let their heart stop beating due to hypotension and hypoxemia or anoxia at that point in time, perhaps anoxic arrest. And then you rush them very rap after a standoff period on bypass at normothermia, greater than 35, I think 35.5 degrees. You resuscitate the organs sans brain, you isolate the arch vessels so that their brain does not see any perfusion. So they were dead, uh, but not just brain dead with organs that never were brain, that were never dead. But now you've taken a heart that has stopped beating because of hypotension and uh, lack of oxygen, arrested, get on bypass, uh, reanimate those organs, assess those organs, and then you have uh, two choices. One is to explant it in the fashion that you normally would for cold static storage, ice bucket, go to the uh, recipient, or 
to place it on an OCS device uh, and then uh, uh, transfer it to wherever you're going to transfer it to, either direction. But that's the normothermic regional perfusion NRP process. It's exactly right. And so um, NRP is really to expand the, to exp expand the donor um, pool. Now, you know, OCS also has a DCD um, uh, protocol uh, with their device. So they also, um, you know, have a, a, a stake in this, and just like any other the organ procurement um, um, devices have. Um, the, the difference between NRP uh, traditionally with just a, a heart-lung setup or a modified ECMO uh, circuit with an open reservoir the, the difference is that you're able to reanimate these, uh, you know, these donation after cardiac death um, um, organs within the, the, the two hour, uh, you know, two hour and 15 minute flight zone that you're able to recover those organs that would normally um, not be, you know, not be a, a available or offered because of the non-brain dead status of the, of, of the donor. Um, and, and that's really changed uh, the game for us. 43%, last week it was 43%. 43% of our uh, heart transplants this year have been by NRP, wow. DCD. Wow. And so you're, you're, you're talking, you know, I, I think we're somewhere in the 60 to 70 range right now. I don't know the exact number. Um, we may be up to 80, but you know, you're, you're just call, you know, close to 50% of those. There's, you know, there's 35, 40 people out there with heart transplants that would not have a, an organ less, you know, this technology that we're doing. And, and the other thing that, about, um, you know, NRP, um, that it, there's, you know, there's some things that still need to be worked out as far as the data, because it is early. Uh, that slide that you brought up, I think the earliest uh, cardiac DCD was, I believe, in 2016. Uh, on that slide that you had earlier. I don't know. Um, the, can you uh, here? I have it right here. I have it. Um, I have it right here. It is because I wanted to show that slide. Um, the earliest was um, hmm. no Belgium, maybe. I'm sorry. Can you uh, let me throw that throw that slide up? Yeah, that one. Yeah, DCD uh, unpublished 2017. Yep. Yep, 2017. Uh, uh, well, they're, they're, and they, they were doing well. It in, actually, in 2014. 14, right? Okay. And, and so, you know, the, the you know that's in you know, and especially with a small n, um, you know, we don't have really good data about what the you know long term. We know what we you know we know what the short term effects are. Um, you know, it's underappreciated um, because you know when you have an absence of brain. Um, activity, um, you get more of an allograft dysfunction. And we, we, you know, we don't know if it's hormonal or what, what the reasons are yet, but th those are the speculations. But, you know, more importantly, are we getting, um, you know, better long-term benefits? Mm -hmm. uh, because we, we know that, you know, um, um, vasculopathies, you know, have, have some, um, contribution when it, when it comes to hormones. Mm -hmm. um, and so when, when you don't have brain function, uh, whether it's, you know, whether it's because, you know, you've got an anoxic brain injury that, um, that you know, or there's a, some sort of trauma to where you don't get the hormonal balance that you're needing um, with the brain dead patients, 
um, there, you know, there is speculation that DCD donors, um, th those organs are going to be more um, uh, beneficial to patients down the road. You know, that, that's, that's definitely a theory, but short term, we know that that is the case. Long term, you know, it's still um, out there. So, so what you're saying is, is that in the traditional uh, brain death donors that we've, we're more accustomed to, that the death of the brain, there's, you know, so we, we talk about, of course, uh, organ crosstalk all of the time. You know, you have cardiorenal syndrome, and, and uh, if you lose your kidneys acutely, your lung waters go up, lung water goes up. There's a lot of uh, organ uh, crosstalk. You can have, you know, you can have uh, uh, encephalopathies associated with, of course, kidney failure. So a lot of things that, that go on between organs that talk to each other, I don't think we fully appreciate to the degree in which they all do. Uh, but I, and I'm sure that is hormonal. Uh, uh, and some other, you know, some other signals that that uh, that that need to happen. So you remove the brain from the equation for either trauma, as you said, or um, a, 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 a anoxic brain injury, drowning, or whatever the case may be. And that heart may be working, but that explanted heart may, or even if it stayed in that patient, may have injury to it occurring during the period of time of that brain death to where in the recipient it may not have the same longevity as a heart that did not experience that long period of time usually days and weeks and maybe even months of uh, brain death and the heart just operating without those various signals that it needed from the brain, that that could have long-term consequences on its survivability over time. So the DCD doesn't really experience that, but it experiences something else, but it's very short-term and may not have that same long-term deleterious effect. I'm assuming that's what you're saying. It's exactly right. I'm learning, okay? You've been teaching me a lot. Let me tell you, I'm learning. I'm learning this stuff. And so that brings up another, um, so, and you know what? We have that UNOS website. Before we get into this, would you mind maybe giving some basic descriptions of that UNOS website you were talking about for any of our audience that may be interested? Uh, David's gonna pull it up and it's gonna sure. pop up on your screen here momentarily. There it is right there. So this is the site yeah. you were talking about. That's and then, correct. And so if you, yeah, if you go to um, the, should be, uh, uh, if you scroll down, I, I, it, it'll talk about the, um, uh, talk about the numbers that you have that you can um, look into. Um, yep, I don't think we can, but we, we can't. We can't. Okay, that's fine. Just take that. Oh, we can. Okay, scroll down. So I think what he's saying is scroll down. Yeah, there you go. So where do they need to go, uh, Matt? Um, we looking at mine at the same time here. It, 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 this is a uh, unos.org data. 
is what I what I um looking Are you at. looking for unos.org data? Uh yep. there's an organ center uh national donor memorial get involved yeah i don't really see that on here maybe scroll back up again maybe it's on a different section and you have unos.org right yep you know yep dot org right now um maybe go on professionals you see professionals in the top very top and then yeah, uh, and data, and then it's data, data and trends. That's exactly right, Joe. Data and trends, it's right there in green, and click that. And then it's you'll go to your national data, which is in the uh, the second box. Mm -hmm. Second box, national data. It's a uh, data overview, the national data. There you go. Yep. And then you can look, uh, uh, you know, if we want to go, you can scroll down to wait lists and then you overall by organ. Um, and if you do hearts, um, you know, visual dashboards. So click um, uh, select a category. Let's see what our options are. So go to, uh, I guess, to donors. Yeah. Pick, pick donor. Uh, or, or donor or, oh. or, or you can, yeah, you can do donor or transplant or waiting list. Any of those okay. things are. Uh, transplant. Okay. At. Let's do that. And then, uh, uh, do heart. My heart. Not, well, yeah, it's fine. Hey, Magic. Okay, and then will something come up now, or do we have to click something? And then Choose you click report uh, you, below. Okay, yep. so, so you, click on transplant by, uh, by donor type. Yep. And then so you can see last year, or you know, uh, year to date, um, you know, we've done 2,200 hearts this year, uh, in, in 2022. Okay. I see it. So down at the very bottom, all donor types is 85,000 in 2022, there were 20, uh, 2,265 and that's in the United that's, States. That's all in the United States. Yep. And if, if you'll go back one. And let's see if they can go back one. They're operating it from the uh, from a different uh, monitor, so I think it's it's more complicated than it's not as easy as it seems. May not have been a great idea, but anyway, I think that's good. Let's just go ahead and go back to the. Uh, you got it. Okay, there we're back one. Go ahead. What do you think, Matt? Are you kidding me? Okay, well, can we get him back up? Oh, well, can you, can you put me up and I can talk? So, um, as, uh, so we had a little technical difficulty there. We were showing you the website, um, probably could have been a little smoother. We did it, you know, sort of last minute just to see if it would work. And, uh, uh, but we're there. So we're getting Matt back up, but while we wait for him, oh, here he comes. Oh, He's back. Right. No worries. Hey, Matt. Yep. Uh, the cat cut the feed. Sorry. Cat cut the feed. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The, the, so that, that wait list, that wait list um, uh, slide is very interesting. In you know, in briefly, so we don't have to get into it. But it's it's funny. The the wait list will add about forty a week um, to the wait list, 
even though that we're doing between 60 and 80, sometimes 90 hearts a week nationally. So the- Wow, the, the, okay. So, so the whole idea is the, we, we, are consider, we are constantly outpacing ourselves. There are more people added to the wait list than people are getting transplanted. Now, the number just increases slightly on the wait list because unfortunately, like we talked about in the first, you know, first couple minutes of the program, you know, it's a formula. It's people added to the list minus people that got transplants minus, unfortunately, the people that, you know, pass away while on the list. Yeah. And even with that, the, the overall wait list continues to grow, um, you know, by 40, you know, between 20 and 40 a week. Um, wow. And so, you know, currently there's about, uh, I think there's somewhere in the lines of 3,000 or 3,500 people on the wait list. Mm -hmm. um, and every week, um, anywhere between, uh, uh, like I said, 100 get added and 40 people get taken off the list um, because of uh, 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 whatever the process is. Whether, and, then, and then you have another 60 to 80 that are, um, you know, being transplanted. Yes, understood, understood. Yeah, that's really interesting. So I'd like to shift gears if I can with the short time we have remaining. This, this yeah. time frame is just not long enough for this. But in the article that I'm going to be discussing tomorrow, um, Dr. Shaw discusses the number of people that have to go to uh, an organ procurement when NRP is going to be used. You have two cardiac surgeons, you have two perfusionists, you have a, an organ preservationist. Uh, uh, you know, and I'm trying to remember this off the top of my head. I'll go through it a little more in detail tomorrow. But could you talk about that process? Um, and then I want to talk about what, what's needed when you go. Everything you have to bring with you to the aircraft or the vehicle, whichever direction you're going to, whatever form of transportation you're going to use with you and bring back, whether you're doing it as NRP cold static storage or NRP OCS device. Yep. So we'll start out with the traditional cold static storage device um, that usually um, takes um, two, two, two surgical hands, whether that's a surge, uh, an attending surgeon and a fellow, um, a, a, an attending surgeon and a first assist. There's two, there's two sets of trained hands at the field and then there's a preservationist. And so, you know, that's the, what I want to call the, the, the basic package. And that's, uh, you know, you're, you're get in, get out and, uh, you're on your way. Um, take one, take a cooler, take some preservation, solutions and and two sets of loops and that, that that's that's the package um if you go to let's uh go to transmedics typically we take two people um that are trained on the transmedics device uh we use perfusionists um we take two sets of surgical hands um like you do before less the cooler um we're, we're taking the big ocs transmedics um box and then we're also taking a preservationist um, because you, as you alluded to earlier, the, the technique is still the same. Um, you preserve the heart and then you reanimate it. There is a, there's a cold 
um, ischemic time um, with, with the OCS because you're actually stopping the heart, then you're putting it on the machine, you're flushing out that cardioplegia solution you just did. So there's usually a cold um, cross clamp or a, a cold ischemic time uh, of about uh, anywhere between 15 and 25 minutes uh, for you to instrument for the, the, the technicians, the surgical technicians, to, uh, whether it be a first assist or a, a cardiac surgeon or a fellow, to instrument the heart back on the OCS. Um, and then really that it's loading all that stuff back up um, and going. And then if you're doing the NRP, if you're taking um, you know, the circuit, you're taking some sort of a centripetal pump, um, you're taking all those people we talked about, the same team as you with, with an NRP, but you're also taking cannulas, you're taking uh, hemoconcentrators, you're taking um, a, a, uh, vents, all kinds of, uh, it, it is a full um, bypass run, if you will. Um, or, or transducer lines that we transduce the aorta. We put, a, it's a direct stick on the cardioplegia vent um, port of the, the bifurcated uh, cardioplegia delivery anagrade needle. Um, and so that, that, that's a more complex, and we take two perfusionists. Um, I feel that you could, um, in, in a bind, you could use a uh, you know perfusion student, or you could use a, um, a an ECMO trained nurse, or some sort of um, uh, person that would understand perfusion lingo, if you will, um, or, or ECMO lingo. But you have to have a, a technically trained helper with you because you don't have all the luxuries. At least we don't take all the luxuries uh, of having you know a level detector and an ERC clamp and, and all these items that, um, you know, you, you're kind of confined on, on an aircraft to take the, the, the um, you know, bare bones, if you mm -hmm. will. And you so have weight considerations, one, you have yeah, one, space and weight. Right. And, but you have to have one person that is, that is dedicated to fixating on, on that level and that, at that machine there, there is no turning your head. Um, with those devices because of the complexity of the system that you're using. You're, you're having to use a vacuum assist with a centripetal pump. In addition, you've got multiple organ teams working in the abdomen that are not ex exactly... Um, gentle. Well, it, it gentle. They, they have to do their job too, but you know, typically they don't have to worry about uh, compressing you know, the IVC. Uh, that, you know, you right. don't, you, they, they're, they're not concerned about the drainage back to the heart. And, right. And they're so, retracting yes. the way they need to, to get to the hepatic vein. And if yep. they obstruct your venous return, it doesn't affect them, but it certainly affects you. Sure. And, and then, you know, you're, you're also flowing at an index of two, eight to three, um, you know, to, to hypoperfuse your organs. So you're also, you know, overflowing what you usually would. So everything is a little more dynamic as far mm -hmm. as the, the, the ebb and flow of your level detector when you get, um, you know, some compression of an, S, of an IVC or, or sometimes, you know, they want to look at the back of the heart to make sure there's not an injury. A, a lot of these patients are, are trauma patients, um, mm -hmm. you know, of, of, of the DCD type. Um, and so, you know, they have to check all aspects of the heart and maybe flip the heart over to look at the uh, the uh, posterior, um, you know, uh, view of the organ. 
but you know so you have to have someone watching that all the time additionally you have to have a runner if you will and and people seem to say well you know your preservationist could be that person they can but unfortunately at the exact moment when you need them to give the preservation solution is when it's the most dynamic time of actually trying to come off the NRP machine and so you need or you need an additional runner and really the whole idea is you need to bring everything with you that you need because you're going into a foreign place you know a different hospital most of the time this is not wide you know widespread known yet and so a lot of people aren't understanding what the needs are or the obstacles are to overcome this and so you know everyone is always willing to help at these places because of the situation they know you know there's people that are relying on these organs to to make sure that we you know we get the best success and a lot of times these are hospitals that don't do we that may not even do heart surgery absolutely and 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 the the funny thing is is that some of those places they they are the most willing to help because they've never seen it before and they're just like this is an important thing and mm -hmm. so it, the the people that are that you're going to places they're more than willing to help it's just they don't have the knowledge and they don't mm -hmm. know that they don't know the you know the obstacles that you're you know you're running into when you see blood going on the floor from the abdomen team um you know and then you you know you're asking hey i'm going to need those units of blood can you get them mm -hmm. and you know if they're not checked or for whatever reason you know the the emphasis on timing isn't always known um and so when you bring your own team your own team knows what the emphasis of timing is and and how critical that time um is that when you need something you just need it x yes very i i totally get it um can you tell us what what exactly is a preservationist and who is it what's the qualifications for a preservationist you know um we, we have we have nurses we have emts that i i don't know that the the actual qualification if there is one but um we have we have nurses um and emts that are our preservationists and uh but but they are they are the linchpin as well um one of them do, uh, doubles now as our organ procurement um coordinator uh he just recently came on board because we had two and with the volume that we're doing two wasn't enough in, in sh you know with shift work um mm -hmm. and so we, we needed to add and so he's going to double dip for a while not only do the preservation the, the hands-on on the ground but he's also going to do some of the coordinating on the phone um in his downtime which is uh, commendable yes very yes that's de that's de that's real dedication can you tell us if you can uh you know one of the things that dr shaw mentioned is mentions in his in his uh writing is that um compared compared to uh cold static storage um and even nrp uh nrp with cold uh static storage that adding ocs adds a non insignificant amount of complexity but also it adds a uh, not insignificant increase in cost um and so what is that cost if you know it number one and number two is you know how do the various uh insurance companies you know medicare whomever is paying these bills 
uh, feel about uh, that or are places like yours that do these uh, procedures actually losing money on those particular types of cases? What's the what's the financial reality? Well, I, what I understand to be, I don't think there's a difference um, in in the DRG or, or the reimbursement, uh, you know, cold storage it, or you're using the heart in the box. Um, it, it, the reimbursement is the same for organ transplant. It, it, for, as far as I, I know, there is an additional cost of having manpower um, go like we talked about from having the three people go um, on a, a, a traditional cold storage versus having five people go whether it's NRP or OCS or some other organ preservation uh, system. Um, the, the cost of the disposable um, in these organ pro pro procurement systems is not insignificant. It's, um, you know, the, the, the low end is 50,000 and I don't know uh, what the, the progatonics or the ex vivo systems cost, but um, you know, they're upwards of $50,000. So, that comes right off the top of your, your you know, your of your bottom line of profit um, for organ transplantation. So wow. then, when you combine having two more, um, you know, wow. labor forces, um, anywhere between eight to twelve hours, it, it is a significant cost um, with with the systems. And the NRP is significantly cheaper um, because you're not using um, the disposable; you're using essentially. Uh, an ECLS set with an open reservoir um, mm -hmm. with, with a hodgepodge of different um, cardiac surgery disposables that you've added in. Um, and once again, you're opening it, um, the door to a donor pool that, you know, was not accessible to you. Mm -hmm. So that's the other thing about NRP that's very advantageous. Mm -hmm. um, the complexity behind NRP is... Um, it, it, it's extraordinary. There is a definite learning curve. Um, of course, I've never cannulated, but um, I, I've seen people cannulate flaccid aortas many times now, and it is not um, it is not an easy task. Mm -hmm. um, you don't have any back pressure to you know to actually insert the, the cardiac uh, uh, um, the, the arterial cannula in, and it is literally a, a two person job. Um, to get that cannula in. So it, it technically, uh, from a surgeon's standpoint, it is, it is very um, technically challenging. And, and, and we, we continue to modify even today. Um, we, you know, we're constantly modifying um, our technique and uh, the, the chain of events and what we're doing to try to minimize um, bad outcomes but also do things more streamlined so we can get on quicker, but may, by maintaining, you know, that the safety of not dissecting the aorta going on, not mm -hmm. giving a, a, you know, a, a, a myocardial injury upon entering because it, it's a, it, it is a quick, you know, when they, when they say your time's ready to go, you have to, you know, cut the chest, zip the chest, open the pericardium, clamp the head vessels first, then get your uh, venous cannula in, drain the patient's blood back because your heart, is it like a balloon, not beating, it's stretched. You wanna mm -hmm. decompress the heart uh, to lower wall tension. And then once you've decompressed the heart and you've exsanguinated the patient, you've got a flaccid aorta that because it wasn't beating that you've gotta technically try to get a cannula in without backwalling it, getting through all three layers of the, uh, of the aorta and getting on safely without purse strings. Because mm -hmm. one person is just holding it in while the other person 
so is the purse strings on while we're flowing at five or six liters a minute. Mm -hmm. It's technically challenging. It, it, I imagine it is that we only have a few minutes left and I have to, I have so many other questions I want to ask you. So I just have to ask this. I'm, I'm, I'm again, uninformed, but I'm just trying to think if you, you, you want to decompress the heart. I understand that you have a patient who you've had a standoff period. That heart has been, that heart has been stopped now and distended. And, you know, every second from that point forward is going to make a difference in survival. So, and so you have to get that chest opened. You have to get those. Um, I don't know if you clamp the head vessels first. I'm not exactly sure the process, but wouldn't it make sense to at least put something? I mean, you could drain the heart through the aorta. You technically, I guess, could. Um, why don't you why don't you introduce into it first before going into the uh, atrium and draining it that way because it, uh, because you you do have a zero blood pressure so it it, it the blood pressure is created by the heart so it's just a vascular it, it, the the aorta is going to be flaccid whether you drain first or not um yeah and you really a can't static, squeeze it yeah you you'll yeah. you'll have a little bit of static pressure um, but essentially, you know, it, it, it won't, it won't, um, decompress the heart because most of these people have a very, you know, it, it, because we're there, we want to take the heart. They have a very competent aortic valve. And so, you know, you could squeeze the heart, but the problem with the venous pooling, it's just going to, you know, it's just going to pull back up from the venous side. Uh, yes, I understand. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. I, I get it. I get it real quickly. I want to wrap up with last thought on how does perfusion, um, what's the risk to perfusion of what I've heard as being other people working the OCS device and that are not perfusionists and how is that um, playing out as far as licensure is concerned, certifications are concerned, things like that. Is there a risk that uh, perfusion could be at risk of, of a risk of losing a uh, a service line to other people besides uh, ourselves doing the OCS devices. Yeah, I, I, it's a great question. I, I think they're uh, in the short term. I think the only uh, only people that are actually going to uh, do this are people that are trained from Transmedics. Transmedics now has a service line that that you know if you're um, Tufts or you're um, some hospital that, um, you know, doesn't have a team that they, they feel they want to send out or, you know, they don't think it's economic to send it out, that, that they will, uh, Transmedics will go out and send their team out. I'm not sure if they're perfusionists. Um, I don't know what the background are, but for a fee, the Transmedics will go harvest an organ for you on their, on their, um, their, their box. Um, to your point, they're already kidney and liver, quote, they call themselves perfusionists. They, they run these devices, the kidney pumps, the liver pumps. Um, they, you know, I've run into them and I said, oh, you're perfusionist? They said, yeah, where did you train? Well, I didn't train at a school. I'm not a, I'm not a real perfusionist, CCP, but that's what they're calling their title. They're not CCPs, um, they're, they're not CPs, they're not LCPs, they're just on the job trained people and because they're not working on, you know, they're not 
contributing to live people, um, you know, they don't necessarily have to be licensed. So there is a there is a, a concern that I, I feel that, you know, over time it will be, a, a you know, we better capture this as a as a profession or we will lose it. I don't think that's in jeopardy right now because I think the disposable cost is so high. And I think that the um, the risk for the hospital, if you're going to do it on your own, you want to technically have the best people that are trained in that field to go do this because you're not willing to risk a $50,000 disposable on yeah. on a non, uh, it, you, you wouldn't want to send your B team on a $50,000 um, device. Understood. Uh, that makes disposable. perfectly so, good sense. So, but I think as it, as it becomes more mainstream, as we saw with ECMO, um, you know, True. you know, years ago, perfusionists were the best people to you know run your ECMO. There was just a shortage of them, and so we were able to train a community of people that you know they're not necessarily perfusionists, but they they are very very good at what they do when it comes to ECMO. And ECMO is just you know as you know just a cousin of. Of, of perfusion. Yes. Um, uh, and so this is, I think, one of those situa situations, it can turn out the same way. Yes. Well, I think there's the, the difference in my view is, and this has been very elucidating. Thank you so much. But the difference in my view is cardiopulmonary bypass in the traditional sense for open heart surgery or, or coronary bypass surgery, whatever the case may be, is a very dynamic uh, process. Um, OCS, the transmedics device, the new devices coming out, is a, and especially NRP, is a highly complex, dynamic process. ECMO, and I, have, I am slowly but surely converting our hospitals here in Houston that I work with into utilizing our services, but all perfusionists and nurse ECMO specialists uh, in the ECMO uh, 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 arena because of what you discussed. One, it, we just don't have enough perfusionists. ECMO is expanding in utilization. But historically, once you're on ECMO, once it's been initiated and you're stabilized, ECMO tends not to be as dynamic of a process unless something goes wrong. When something goes wrong, it goes wrong. The beauty yep. of it is, however, you know, things really don't just go wrong that frequently with, uh, with ECMO. I mean, if you thrombose your system, if you, I mean, there are, uh, have an abrupt disconnection or inadvertent decannulation, I mean, the, 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 the really bad things that can happen in ECMO almost don't matter who was actually there. The outcome is almost predetermined. Um, so, you know, patient becomes unstable. You get a perfusionist in there to support it, whether the circuit needs to be changed or whatever the case may be. But the day-to-day -day operation of it, hour by hour for weeks and sometimes months on end, really is more of a cruise control on an airplane when the pilot may be taking a break and the first officer is actually at the controls at that point in time. But take off and landing, or you have a problem occur, the pilot is re-engaged in the, uh, in the uh, uh, circumstance. So I, I see perfusion in the operating room and this process, NRP, OCS, as being 
highly complex and very dynamic where I see ECMO as in times the that, but for the long stretches of uh, time, uh, just sort of cruise control. That, uh, that's how I see it. Yep, that, it's a great analogy and I, I think that's spot on. Thank you. Matt, this was very elucidating, very, very, very worthwhile. I think our audience has uh, has had an opportunity to hear some things uh, that they're just not going to be able to hear elsewhere. Uh, I think in medicine, where, where there's so many, especially in cardiac medicine, from our perspective, so much to see out there and to learn about that's happening um, and uh, so many opportunities for perfusionists, I think, to expand their knowledge base and to also figure out how do we uh, become a part of this process for the process's sake, but also as a career opportunity for us, which is essentially at the end of the day, also our livelihood. This is how we yep. make our living. And uh, it takes a lot of work to get to that point, but I think that the uh, fruits of your labor are worthwhile. And you also feel really good about what it is you do being a part of such an interesting, uh, interesting uh, solution to a really big problem, which is getting organs to people who really need them. Agree. Well, Joe, you, I Matt. appreciate you having me. Thank you, Matt. It's great seeing you. Hey, your office looks really nice today. Man, you <laughs> did some, either you did some really hard work this morning or you finally just decided we're going to keep it like this. I'm not sure which direction it went. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. I, I'll, I'll try to uh, always raise the bar. Very, you, you sure do. Is that sheepskin <laughs> on that chair over there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's custom. Man, ships, sheepskin, man. I'll tell you what, you have spent a lot of time in that chair. Take care of yourself, Matt. I need to call you later. I need to talk to you about something anyway. Great seeing you. Thank you so much for everything. And I will talk to you again soon. Thanks, Joe. Bye-bye.